the sermon is going to be out of John chapter 11. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire 44 chapters or 44 verses. I think it's 44. Yeah. It's about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, in this, uh, as a summary, you know, you get to see a different side of God that uh, maybe you've never seen before. You get to see a God that is in complete control. Um, not that you didn't know that already. That's another thing you get to see. You get to see people who believe, but they hit that, that wall of their belief that they just can't quite understand all of what or who he is and what he can do. You see the restraint of human. Um, you get to see the power of God. But um, I'm going I'm to read a portion of it, and then we're going to work our way through the 44 verses as fast as possible. So sit tight. It's only going to be about four and a half hours. I'm kidding. So, before we get started, why don't we uh, bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to come and preach once again. Lord, I ask that your word would penetrate hearts tonight. Lord, that you would open eyes and ears of, of all the people in here. Lord, if there'd be anybody that needs to, to be saved in here tonight, Lord, bring them. Raise them from the dead. Remove their grave clothes. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, let me see here. I'm going to read 11, 43 and 44. It says, Now when they had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. So at the beginning of this chapter, um, Jesus uh, is with his disciples near the River Jordan. Um, it's about 20 miles from Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Georgia. Uh, Georgia. Uh, from Jerusalem, Jordan, Georgia, you know, from Jerusalem. It's about two miles from Jer Jerusalem. And um, in the first few, or a few verses, we see uh, Lazarus gets sick. There's no description of why he got sick, how he got sick, what he got sick with. We just know he got sick. And Martha and Mary were fearful for him, and they knew that Jesus could heal him. They believed that he could heal. So they sent word. Most scholars think it would take someone about a day to get from where they were at the river, or where Bethany is to the river Jordan where Jesus was. So they sent as soon as they, uh, they needed his help. And I find it interesting, <laughs> Jesus' response. Let me read the first uh, 1 through 15, see if we can uh, get a little context here. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. 
It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. Then Jesus, here's that part. Don't ever kid yourself that he didn't know. This is God in control. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, (laughs) here's the confusing part, he stayed for two more days in the place where he was. Now let me ask you a question. Anybody in here ever had anybody that was really sick? Your mom, dad, brother, sister, somebody? And you got the phone call. How long did it take you to go? Did they even finish the sentence before you dropped the phone? I mean either. I go. As soon as we got the call. Why did he wait? There was a reason why he waited. It's in the very beginning. Right there it says, this sickness is not unto death. Jesus knew it wasn't to death. He was going to die. Jesus knew that. But he also knew the other half. Um, I find it funny too. God loved the disciples. Because they're like us. They have no clue. Not one clue. <laughs> he says, well, your fr- uh, the guy says, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, well, it's not unto death. It's for me to be glorified, basically, is what he said. And then when he tells his disciples we need to go to Jerusalem, their response is, well, wait a minute here. They're trying to kill you in Jerusalem. Well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? But they were fearful for themselves. Because there was a price out on Jesus by then, basically. And the disciples were scared. And you see that trend going all the way through this. What's amazing to me is they're just like we are. Jesus is very forthright in telling them and telling us, I'm God. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do this thing. And we go, I just don't understand. (laughs) You know, we don't get it. But he's very gracious. I mean, it's crazy. He's very gracious and and, uh, very loving. So they were worried about themselves. The disciples were. And uh, they didn't want him to go because they were fearful for their life because if he was caught, then most likely they would be caught and put to death as well for following him. So the scriptures between basically, um, where did I leave off there? Between 7 and 15, um, Jesus is corresponding with the disciples And he says, well, Lazarus is sick, and he's asleep, and the disciples still don't get it, and and 
they say, well, if he's asleep, Lord, then he's going to get better, right? And Jesus then finally says plainly, no, he's dead. Now, Jesus hasn't been there. The person that came to tell Jesus that he was sick only knew he was sick, but Jesus knew when he died. I mean, it's pretty plain that Jesus was more than just a man. I mean, probably crazy, but somebody that's over 20 miles away hasn't seen the guy, knows he's sick, and then all of a sudden he knows he's dead. He's more than a, uh, he's more than a man. Can you guys even hear me out there? Okay. Um, but he, Jesus finally says, Lazarus is dead. And then the, uh, an interesting statement in 15, he says, And I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, I go to him. Now, why would Jesus make a statement to his disciples about Lazarus being sick and him not being there? He's going to do a miracle. He's going to do something that would blow their mind and they won't have any choice but to believe. Really. But for their sake, he said, for your sake, I'm staying here so you can actually see me do this thing. This is for me to be glorified in your sight and Martha and Mary and all the people that are there. Okay. Um. And then, funny enough, in 18, it made me laugh when I read it. Well, 18 and 17, Thomas still doesn't get it. He, uh, <laughs> Thomas, the one who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. They're still, Thomas is still worried. Okay, we now know that Lazarus is dead. Jesus says, for your sake, it's better that I was here, that I didn't heal him in the first place, because you've already seen that guys, but this time I'm going to do something more than just healing. And Thomas says, well, let's go to Jerusalem so we can all die together. It makes me laugh because they just don't get it. He just didn't get it. Okay. Now we're down to, uh, let's get down to verse 20. Basically, Jesus goes ahead and heads down there. Martha gets word that Jesus is headed that way. And she meets him outside of town before he gets there. In verse 20, I believe it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. Verse 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, and I want you to think, have you ever been in this position with Jesus Christ? On anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be with death. Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd have been here, I would never have lost my house. I'd have never lost my job. I wouldn't have lost anything. Martha is in the same position most Christians. She's a believer. She believes. She loved Jesus Christ. 
you know, I read a thing that said that Jesus never had a house. He didn't live in a, a house of his own. He, when he went on his ministry, he would stay with people. Wherever he was going, close to that, he would stay with people who he loved. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus's house, he stayed with them. Much like when we have ministry, uh, people come in from different places, they'll stay with people in our church. I know Aggie's had people stay. I think you guys have hosted people. They hosted Jesus. Man, what an honor that would have been. They knew who Jesus was. They believed what he could do. They, they loved him. And Alma, you know, part of me says, man, what the audacity that lady actually has, who she believes that's the Christ, to walk up and say, if you'd have been here, you could almost see her pointing her finger in his face. If you'd have been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. In response, <laughs> well, well, first she finishes off, but even now I know you can, I mean, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. It's backed up with faith. She knows. She knows what he can do. And then Jesus' response was, your brother's going to rise again. Have you ever talked to God like that? I know you can do whatever you want. I know, I know you can do what I need, God. And then right after that, he responds, your brother will rise again. He's telling her, he's not going to be dead forever. Her response was, I know. He'll rise up in the last day. Doesn't that sound like a Christian response? She's giving him Christian regurgitation, what she had learned in the last day, the, the, the resurrection. She knew the, the scriptures, but that's not what he meant when he was talking to her. And Jesus then says to her the, the famous quotation, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whomever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I think she believed it. She just didn't understand it. She didn't understand what he meant when he said, your brother's not, your brother will rise again. She even says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And then when she said that thing, she goes away and then Basically, she goes and tells Mary um, that Jesus is there, and then Mary comes out. And I don't think it's by accident. It says it in the Word. But she meets Mary in the same, or excuse me, Jesus meets Mary in the same place that he met Martha. I think he met them both in the same spiritual place that they were. Because they were both in the same place. In fact, they both said the same thing to him. If you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. They knew he could heal. They knew he would heal. They knew he loved Lazarus. And they were mad. 
They were mad at God. I can, I can, uh, I can relate to that. Many of you guys don't know, but my dad died when I was three months old. And I never got to know him. I was mad at God. God, if you'd have been such a loving God, if you're so loving, why would you take a, a person so important to me? If you love me, God, you'd have let him live. That's where they're at. And she's weeping, and uh, there's only three places in the Bible where it notates that Jesus wept. Two of those times he was weeping over Jerusalem. I believe that's, um, he's really weeping over the lost souls, the ones that would not turn. He knew they wouldn't turn. He was weeping for them. But the other one is right here. Remember, they're friends. Jesus, it says in, I think it's in Hebrews, that he's felt, he feels our pain. He, uh, he feels our infirmities. And when we hurt, he hurts. And Mary was weeping. There is another train of thought that um, some people think that Jesus was, he wept because of the lack of faith shown in them. But I, I don't really think it was all that. It, it may have been a little bit of that, but I don't think Jesus was like that. I think just like if you were, Joplin, if, if somebody died that you were close to and somebody that was really close to you seen you weeping, they would cry. Why, why would they cry? I know each one of us has done it, or at least with the man you've probably choked up. You may not have shed a tear, because we don't shed tears, right? <laughs> but that's compassion. You love that person, and they're hurting, and because they're hurting, you hurt. That's Jesus right there. You know, your Savior hurts when you hurt. And what's crazy about that to me is that he knew he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he still cried. I don't know if I could do that. If I knew I was going to fix something, and they were crying, I don't think I could cry with them. I guess I'm not as compassionate as Jesus is. But he's very compassionate. When you, I mean, think about that. When you have, when you have ailments, when you're sorrowful for things, He's weeping with you. He's deeply moved when you hurt. He's not a distant God somewhere all far away. He's right there with you. He's got his arm around you, and he's weeping with you. Okay. Um, shortly after that, that's in verse 35 where it says Jesus wept. In fact, that's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. By the way, a little fun fact for you. Um, after that, Jesus basically says, okay, let's move on. He gets out to the, uh, the tomb. And this is really the, most of this is, is not really part of my sermon. 
but it's part of the story and you can't leave part of the story out with with the sermon. But Jesus gets to the the tomb and he commands the stone to be rolled away. Now, a little bit of history and fact for you. When the Israelites came up out of Egypt, they brought with them the the uh, tradition of wrapping their, their dead like the Egyptians did. However, they did not disembowel the, the corpses due to um, they believed that they wanted them to be as a whole for the last day. Don't ask me. It's kind of a quirky little thing. You have a God that can raise you from the dead. Why would he not be able to replace organs? But whatever. But that tradition of how they laid even Jesus in the grave was something that came up out with them out of Egypt. I don't know if anybody in here was here when I preached about the uh, carrying the baggage out of Egypt. That's something that came with them in the baggage that they never dropped. Funny enough, it fits right in with what I'm going to say about the grave clothes. But Jesus commands that the stone be rolled away and Martha says, Whoa! Wait a minute. Stop. He's been dead for four days. You don't want to roll the stone away. Man, it's going to stink. It's going to smell like death. What a picture of what we smell like before we come to Christ. Our friends, they say, Whoa, you don't want to roll the stone away and let the light in. Don't let the stink out. Keep it all wrapped up in your little cave, your little world. But she was fearful that he would stink. And Jesus didn't care. They rolled the stone away. I think it's funny, though. I think um, in a lot of ways, a lot of people are like that. With You know, I've heard to... Um, heard our, our, what's the word I'm thinking, our situation when God comes into our heart, it's a lot like a house. And when we open the door to let him in, he comes in the living room. Well, once you close the door and he is in there, well, he starts cleaning house. First, he starts in the main rooms. They're usually pretty clean. I mean, if, you, if I were to go to each one of you guys' living room, for the most part, there might be some stuff on the tables or whatever, but it's fairly clean. There's not crap on the floor. Sorry, I can't say that. It's stuff on the floor, but it's fairly clean. But if I were to start digging through some of y'all's houses and get back towards the closet, we'd find some trash, some junk, stuff that's stuffed in there that ain't been there, you know, been touched for years, but you can't part with it. In a lot of ways, I think Mary was dealing with that. You, spiritually speaking, don't open that. It's going to stink. and it's, You're not comfortable with God going into that room. God, you can go in every other room in here, except for this one. Because, man, i got a lot of skeletons in that closet, and it's going to hurt when you go in there. So we try and ward him off saying it stinks been dead for years okay 
But then Jesus has the stone rolled away. Martha says, man, don't do it. It's going to stink. He does it anyways. I'm paraphrasing. And then comes the moment when you see Jesus Christ, God incarnate, on display. Now, each and every one of us in here has an idea of the way it would have happened with Jesus. Some of us, it's going to be like magical. Some of us, it's more like what it says in the Bible. I know that there are some people that have seen some of the uh, churches and different religions around the world, and you see a lot of people get really lathered up over some really silly things. And when I say lathered up, that means they're doing all kinds of dances and chants and blah, 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 blah. When Jesus was on display and showed the power to rise or overcome death with just the word from his mouth, it was very simple, Lazarus, come forth. That was it! The hillside didn't rattle. The, the ground didn't shake. He said, and I, I'm, he said it in a loud voice, but it was not anything overdramatic. It was very simple, just like Jesus Christ. Lazarus, come forth. And the word of God, man, it was powerful. Because voila, out comes Lazarus. And when he came out, this is the part that God really wanted me to hone in on. Because I think a lot of Christians are here. They're either A, stuck in the grave clothes still. Or they refuse to let them go. The next thing that came out of Jesus' mouth was remove the grave clothes. Remove the grave clothes. That was it. Now, he was bound hand and feet. He was kind of mummified, and they had to unwrap his clothes. If that's not a picture of you coming up out of bondage, I don't know what else is in the Bible. You were dead. Christ brought you back to life, and he freed you from your bondage. Now, the only thing that is missing here is that he didn't say that he gave him something to wear, but I'm assuming they did. Otherwise, he would have ran around naked. However, interestingly enough, that's one of the first times you actually see mankind physically naked before God and unashamed after the garden. Standing right there before Jesus Christ, God incarnate, he was standing naked. That's where you're at when you come up out of bondage and he removes your grave clothes. But the problem is, is that most people aren't comfortable. They aren't comfortable when God removes the, the normalcy, normalcy things in their life. The ways of life that you lived before, the things you watched, the things you said, the things you drank, the things you didn't drink, the things you smoked. All of those things came up out of the grave. And Christ himself said, remove them. And they were removed. But the picture I want you to see 
is once we left, we kind of, can you hand me that box of Kleenex? I, God gave me the vision today of, of a mechanic. I'm going to do my best to be a mechanic. The grave clothes were there. We're, ah, we're standing there naked before God. We walk away. We bend back down. And we stick that grave clothes, some of them, the ones we like the most, and put them in our back pocket. That way, when somebody makes us mad, I can pull out my grave clothes and I can still be selfish. I know, I've been there. I took some of mine. I'll be honest. However, we don't have to take them. Jesus didn't Jesus didn't free you for nothing. Isn't that weird that we come out of bondage because we want to be free? We're freed, but then we want to go back to bondage because it's more comfortable? But we don't want to be fully bondaged. We just want one arm and one leg stuck together. Then we got one free. We can be churchy. And on the other side, we can still be in bondage. That way we can walk both sides. You know what? That's not going to cut it. That doesn't mean that if you've sinned and you walk that way that you can't be forgiven. He forgives. He's faithful and just to forgive. But He desires for you to be free. Something that I found interesting, I don't know why, the, you know, when you see Jesus doing other miracles, people talked about it. The guy that got healed hooped and hollered and was like, oh, heck yeah, he healed my blindness. Shh, no, I'm not going to, you shh. Jesus healed me. I'm not here. Not one more word is said, really. I mean, it's crazy. This is like almost the pinnacle of all the miracles that he did. And right after that, it goes in, in John anyways, it goes right into the Passion Week. It does show where Lazarus and, and uh, his family had the dinner, and that's where Mary broke the, the vial of really expensive um, oil and wiped it on his feet. But there's nothing else said. I don't. To me, that's that's just my own personal thing. I, you, you can read into what you want. I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't say anything else. Obviously, God didn't want it put in there. But it's crazy to me because, man, if I'd have been raised from the dead, wow! Right now in our culture, it'd be books, movies, and action figures, and all kinds of stuff. But I found it interesting, too, that when Lazarus came forth, he said nothing. And that kind of spoke to me, too. When you're standing naked before God, you're completely open. 
He can see right through everything you've ever done. What else are you going to say? What are you going to say? When you stand before Jesus, Chris, you can go ahead and come on up. When you stand before Jesus at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, what are you going to say? I guarantee you the only thing, well, I don't want to guarantee anything. I almost guarantee. The only thing you're ever going to be able to utter out of your mouth at that point in time will be, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. You won't be able to say, Jesus, I stood up for 25 years and I proclaimed your name to all the state of Kansas, Missouri, and everything else. It will be, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. That's about the only thing that you could say. Because everything else is based off of that. If you hadn't have died for your sins, you couldn't have done any of that other stuff. You know, this is a different style of a, of a sermon. It was more of a... The Word really did it. The Word of God in this paragraph, it, there's nothing really hidden. It was pretty plain. But it's powerful. When, it, when you go home, read through it yourself. And watch how forthright Jesus Christ was in telling everybody that he encountered between the Mary and Martha and his disciples what he was going to do. And you get to see in that whole thing the sovereignty of God. God let that happen. He allowed all of that to take place. That's the picture I want you to walk away with because most of us don't have an idea or we have some idea of what we think God is. But this gives a different picture. He took someone he loved, allowed him to get sick just in order so he could he bring him back to life. You know, there's no way to get around it. It's not that I think God's vindictive or hateful. I don't think that at all. I think he wanted you to see his power for who he was. And that's where they missed it. They missed it until the end. Until when he raised him from the dead, they were like, if you could have been a fly on the wall, I guarantee you, you'd have seen jaws on the floor. When Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, walked out of that tomb going, people probably fainted. I guarantee you, I'd faint. But maybe you, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe this word spoke to somebody, maybe it didn't. I give you the opportunity to come tonight if you uh, want to lay anything that you've been dealing with that, and you know, you know what it is. Because I know too. I know what mine are. Come and lay those grave clothes, the ones that you stuffed in your back pocket just so you could have and use. Come lay them at the, at the altar. Lay them at the cross. Say, Jesus, I don't want these anymore. You freed me from these for a reason. I'm throwing them down. Come tonight. Let's bow and pray real quick. Lord Jesus, I just thank you once again for the opportunity to be one of your sons. I know I'm not perfect, Lord. I know that there are other people in here that struggle with the same things I do. 
on a day-to-day basis. There are things that we do and we say and we, we don't desire to do them anymore, but every time we do them, you, you prick our hearts, Lord. And I ask that you would uh, prick a heart here tonight that uh, they would come and they would, they would kneel at your feet and just give it all to you. Lord, you've said you're merciful, you're forgiving, loving, kind. You are all of those things. I love you, Jesus, and I, I can't imagine life without you. Amen. Mm-hmm.